We are continuing our fight series today. We started a series on spiritual warfare last week, and I think it was kind of appropriate, the David and Goliath message, because, you know, like this Goliath came on the planet called coronavirus, and you can either stare at the size of that giant or you could stare at the size of your God. And there were plenty, listen, there were plenty of covenant people of God who were shaking in their boots in Israel's day at the giant. But one covenant man came forward and said, I'm in covenant with God. He's not. He's toast. And I believe that as we exercise faith in the size and the power of our God and not in the size and power of a virus, we're going to see God wipe it out like he's done every other time on this planet. So we're going to continue the fight series today, but today we're going to get a focus on, on dealing with strongholds. Now, today I've got one of our members, Bill Littman. Uh, yeah, you can clap for him. Why is Bill Littman, one of your members, going to speak today? Uh, Bill is a professor of addiction studies and social, in the social sciences division at the Reading Area Community College. I heard him do this message when he was a pastor <clears throat> at another church, and I, I listened to it online, and it was a fantastic message. And I knew we were, had this series coming up, and I'm like, Bill, would you please just bring that message again to Lifeway Church? I think it would be so meaningful. So, Bill, would you come on up? Come on, let's give it up for Bill. Would you extend your hands and, uh, and uh, you know, just in the grace of God to him, and let's pray. Father, we bless Bill. That's probably, well, I know he, taught, he's, he teaches as a professor. Um, I ask, Father, that you would give him a fresh anointing in his ministry gift to teach the Word of God today. I pray there be a powerful anointing to open understandings. And really, what we all want is the end result, strongholds to be broken in our lives and to find ways, the things that have held people bound for years, Father, we pray for the, for the God of the breakthrough today to break through. Where there's a wall that you'd make a way, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Are we on? Hey, good morning. Isn't it great to be here? Yeah. Thank you so much for coming out today. Um, I'll never know really what it's like to be invited to be a member of the Avengers, but I feel like it today. Let me tell you, the, the men that I see standing up here and women and the people and so many people who come in and lead worship for us and teach us here at Lifeway, I, I am just humbled and grateful to be able to share a portion of this series with you and to be a member of uh, Lifeway Church. We started here about a year ago. It is transforming our family. My wife and I love it. Our kids love it. Uh, just can't say enough good things. So grateful to everybody, all the members, the staff members. Welcome to everybody online. Uh, when Jimmy and I talked about me doing this lesson about a month or so ago, I would not have envisioned or pictured that today would be a day like today is. But here we are. And to be honest with you, what we're going to talk about to this morning really fits in with what we're um, with what we're experiencing right now. Uh, but I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for this table. I'm grateful for this water. Nor <laughs> normally, I would share. I'm not going to today. Sorry, but. Um, a little bit about my background real quick before we dive in. Uh, I was in full-time ministry for about 20 years or so. Most of that was spent as a pastor at a couple of different churches. And uh, so I really loved that experience. Some of that was spent as a principal. I was at New Covenant Christian School, and I was a principal there for about two and a half, three years. As a matter of fact, some of the people here at Lifeway were students when I was uh, at New Covenant, when I was the principal there, if you were a student when I was principal there, please remember, Jesus is big on forgiveness, okay? <laughs> so uh, hopefully that enough time has passed. 
Um, and uh, I'm trying to think, oh, so, and then I was, for five years, I was at Lebanon Rescue Mission. I was the director of the men's program there, and we dealt with homeless men every day, guys who were experiencing addictions, guys who were in the, uh, the grip of, of strongholds and um, whose lives have been destroyed and messed up by mental health problems, by uh, addiction problems, but by, basically by evil that's present in our world. And so when uh, Jim invited me to come and be uh, a part of this series, I was very humbled. And uh, so uh, now today, I, yes, I work at Reading Area Community College. If you see me, please call me Bill. Uh, you can call me, most people don't call me professor. If you call me professor, I'll think you're talking to the guy from Gilligan's Island. Um, so uh, please just call me Bill. But I, I teach sociology, psychology, but I focus and um, specialize in the area of addiction studies. Uh, I, I didn't wake up one morning and say, hmm, human misery is interesting. I'll study addictions. That didn't happen. Uh, I study addictions and focus on that because I myself am a recovering person. I'm a recovering uh, alcoholic and addict who has been saved and spared by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm here and I'm alive today because Jesus stepped into my life. And I'm an adult child of alcoholics. Uh, my parents, I love them. They were addicts and alcoholics. They're gone. They're both gone now. Miss them every day. Uh, I don't blame them a bit for this. But for 55 years, I've been walking around on planet Earth. And for 55 years, this dirty, nasty, filthy disease of addiction has been um, stalking me, stalking me like a giant. Like you talked about David and Goliath last week. Um, and so... Uh, Today we're going to talk a little bit about strongholds and about what that means. And I hope you, I need to do something though. I'm a little bit nervous. It's been a while. I used to preach every Sunday. It's been a long time. Sometimes when I get a little bit nervous though, I have to like relax and, and unstress. Mark, can you help me out with that? Thank you. I, I brought something here just and I'm a little, a little nervous. Thank you. This is bubble wrap. Do you guys like bubble wrap? I, I love bubble wrap. So I wish I had enough for everybody. Does anybody need some bubble wrap? I don't want to hog it, but sometimes when I'm getting a little nervous and I feel powerless, and, and that's a big part of addictions, sometimes when I, get, I get a little... Uh, I just, what is it about that that's so satisfying? It just helps me to feel a little bit better. I even brought some nice, big, manly bubble wrap. Look at that. Oh, Woo! I feel so much better already. So thank you, Mark. Right, if I need it, you, you're, you got my back? All right, thanks, bro. There's something satisfying about bubble wrap, popping it. I've liked it ever since I was a little kid. I don't know what it is. Something satisfying about crushing an aluminum can. When my kids were little, we went through this phase where we would get bottles of water and every Deer Park or Acadia bottle in the house, they would take it and then they would squish it up and I would find them all over that. I'm still finding them. It's been years. They're all, when we don't feel powerful, it's nice to have something in your grasp that just, even if it's just for a second, pop, makes you feel like you got some strength. So often... These things called strongholds take control of our lives. And we just feel, if you're like me, you can feel like the power just rush out of you. You can be doing great. Everything can be wonderful. But then this ugly old piece of nasty business, sin, generally, steps in and just sort of like, sort of takes control. And you're like, where did that come from? So I've worked with lots of people with lots of struggles over the years. A couple of examples. I know this one guy. His name was Rocky. Super great guy. One of the nicest guys you ever want to meet good friend, but he had a hot temper. And every once in a while, he, he would just use his tongue in such a sharp and mean way. 
And everybody loved this guy, but he would just have, he would just be like, ready, fire, aim with words and hurt and cut. And I remember a time when Rocky said something that hurt his best friend so bad that he didn't think he would ever, he would ever get over it. That's a stronghold, a hot temper. There's a guy named Joe. Joe is an awesome guy, super brilliant and smart, has been very successful throughout the course of his career, but for some reason, he is a job hopper. He moves from job to job to job. He's not in one place for very long. Now, when he's at a place, he does okay, but then something goes wrong and he gets messed up. Actually, he started his career in his family business, and his own family got so sick of him, they fired him, his own family. And he went to another job, and he did okay, and he lost it. He went to another job. And then finally, things got so bad that he ended up in prison. So now he's in jail. Joe has a stronghold of employment instability in his life. One more example, there's a woman who um, has been in multiple relationships, divorced, not once, not twice, but three times, at least three times, probably more. And um, if you talk to her, she'll joke with you. She'll tell you she, she has her own parking space down at divorce court. Ha, ha, ha. But it's not funny. Why is it that she moves from relationship to relationship? Why is it that Joe can't hold down a job? Why is it that Rocky, even though he doesn't want to do it, says stuff that is horrible and mean? Well, it's because of these strongholds in their life. And I've got to ask you, do you have one in your life? I do. I want to start this morning by telling you I am not an expert on strongholds. I'm not really much of an expert on anything. I study addictions and sociology and psychology a lot. I'm not a counselor or a therapist. I'm a teacher and an educator. By the way, if, when people come to me for counseling, I say, um, shut up, read the Bible, and go to a meeting. End of session. That's my version. Of, I'm, a, I'm an awful counselor. I'm an educator. I train counselors, but I don't actually do it myself because, to be honest with you, I have some of these strongholds, a lack of patience in my life. What is your stronghold? Do you know? Are you honest with, enough with yourself to admit it? For some of us, it's worry. I'll tell you what, if you got the stronghold of warrior in your life, worry in your life, it's a tough week, isn't it? You know, and wonder how things, some of us, and, and I do it too, sometimes it's the weather, sometimes it's traffic conditions, but you bust out the phone, hmm, how many people got sick in Italy today? <gasps> Look at that. And then, you know, it just, the worry can overwhelm. Some of us worry, it's the first thought when we wake up in the morning, it's the last thought before we go to bed, and then we worry and worry, and then we worry that we worry too much, because we know we're not supposed to. How about control? Is that a stronghold for you? can be for some of us. This is a tough week if control is a stronghold for you. Lust, greed, laziness. How about this one, judgmentalism. Hey, you know what? I, we can't help it. It's part of our survival instinct. It's how our brain is wired. But it's hard to go through the day without slipping into that judgmental place. And everybody judges a little bit, but some of us hand down more verdicts in one day than the Supreme Court does in an entire year. <laughs> and then we catch ourselves as like, oh, I feel so bad. I shouldn't have thought that. And then we do it 10 seconds later. These are strongholds. These are more than bad habits. These are things that tear us down. These are weapons in the hands of an enemy that hates us. And when I say enemy, I'm talking about save Satan and his minions and the ones that report to him. This is not a metaphor. This is not a symbolic thing. He is a real being. 
He has real beings who report to him. They hate us. They hate God. They can't hurt God, but they can hurt us. And the only way that they can even take a shot at God is by hurting you and me. And one of the ways that they do that is by using strongholds. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to look at another great story from the life of David. Three characteristics about a, a stronghold, folks. They are old, they are tough, and they are discouraging. Strongholds have three characteristics. And if you're wondering what, what yours is and you're kind of wrestling with it, they are old, they are tough, and they are discouraging. And so that's why we're going to look at a story that many of us may not be super well acquainted with. I mean, a person could read the Bible their whole life and maybe not know this story. It's the story of when David conquers Jerusalem. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Jimmy do an amazing job of telling the story of when David fought and defeated Goliath. And in that battle, what David does is he meets Goliath head on. I love that story so much. Sling, swinging, legs pumping. The Bible says that David ran toward Goliath. Did you miss that part or did you catch it? Just a little seven, 16, 17 year old kid, knees up and down in the air, charging this giant, this nine foot tall giant. He fought hard. Today, as we talk about strongholds, we need to talk about what it means to fight smart. Sometimes you fight hard, sometimes you fight smart. So, Father, as we uh, dive into the text here this morning, I pray your blessing on it. Let me just disappear. Help us to see Jesus in him alone. So, uh, Father, I pray for a release of strongholds through your word here this morning. I pray for the people listening online, the people in this room. We're so grateful. We're so thankful for Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this is from 2 Samuel chapter 5. It's the story of when Jesus takes Jerusalem. He conquers it, which was the first time I read this, I was like, well, I just thought Israel always had Jerusalem. Well, not necessarily. So we're now about maybe 14, 15 years in the future from when David fought Goliath. He is the undisputed king of Israel. He is a strong king, and a strong king needs a strong capital, and that's what David is about to get. So if you want to follow along with me while I share this with you, the Bible says, David then led his men to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites, the original inhabitants of the land who were living there. The Jebusites taunted David, saying, you'll never get in here. Even the blind and the lame could keep you out. The Jebusites thought they were safe. Nevertheless, love that word. We're going to come back to it. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold, look at the word, the stronghold of Zion. That's another name for Jerusalem. That is the city of David. That day, David said to his men, to defeat the Jebusites, you must go through the water tunnel. Then David dwelt in the stronghold, there it is again, and called it the city of David. And David became more and more powerful because the Lord God of heaven's armies was with him. Now, if you think of Jerusalem, if you think of it today, it's a very modern city, tons of security, millions of visitors every year. But if we think of the Jerusalem that we're acquainted with through the Bible, maybe it's the one that you think about during Jesus' time, uh, occupied by the Romans, um, you know, busy, hustling, bustling city, big temple, a temple that when the light hit it would shine like the sun on top of the hill. So the Passover, maybe you think about that. Now, the Jerusalem that we're looking at today, though, is from the Bronze Age. It's about a thousand years before Jesus's time. And so it's not the pretty, well-developed city that we might have in our mind. It's actually an old, 
ugly, craggly, scraggly hunk of rock sticking up outside of the desert, but it's perfect for what David needs it to be, which is a strong capital. He has to unite Israel underneath his leadership, and it's sort of centrally located. Now, the people who live inside this old fortress, which, by the way, is right in the middle of Israel territory, which, by the way, where are our strongholds in our life? Right in the middle of where we live. Jerusalem is right in the middle of Israel, and it's occupied by these characters called the the Jebusites. Now, the Amalekites, Amorites, last week we talked about Goliath, who was a Philistine, um, and and they're always mixing it up with Israel. But you don't hear a whole lot about the Jebusites. Now, the reason you don't hear about them is because most people leave them alone, and the reason that most people leave them alone is because nobody can really mess with them because they got the high ground, man. They're inside this old fortress all walled off, totally protected, and nobody can get in there. So they have a super strong hold, a super fortress. Everybody looks at the Jebusites and sees a big problem. Everybody that is except David. David sees an opportunity. David says, you know, those guys are all up inside there. That is a good capital. It's easy to defend, and it's right in the middle of God's space. What in the world are they doing in there? They don't belong in there. We belong in there. They have a stronghold in our territory, and so therefore David and his men decide to go in, and they decide to take it. So two times in this story, we see the word stronghold. In verse 7 and in verse 9, it says that David took the stronghold, and then in verse 9, it says that David dwelt inside the stronghold. One of the things that I want to suggest to you this morning is that that stronghold, that thing that hurts you and tears you down and makes you feel ashamed and that you're embarrassed about and that you keep secrets about, what if instead of that thing being the thing that hurts you, what if that was the thing that you dwelt inside of and that gave you power and that symbolized and signified your defeat in the name of Jesus Christ over the evil powers that wanna hurt us. David dwelt inside the stronghold after he captured it. Also, I wanna point out that right in the middle of this story is this incredible 12 letter masterpiece, the word called nevertheless. It says that in the story that that the fortress was powerful and strong, nevertheless, David beat it. That's what you need. That's what I need to deal with my strongholds. I still have tons of them. I need a nevertheless. How about this one? Um, Born to addicts, nearly drank himself to death. Nevertheless, went on to share the gospel with people. That's mine, what's yours? How about this one? Hated school, dropped out, nevertheless started a business and supported her family and took care of the people that she loved. Didn't read the Bible until he was 60 years old, was an atheist, nevertheless came to a deep and abiding faith and loves the word of God. You see, that's what that word does for us. That's what that word did for David, and that's what it does for you and me, is it changes everything around. Everybody needs a nevertheless. What is your nevertheless? That's one of the things, that's one of our goals this morning. We want to figure that out for you. So figure out what your your 
your stronghold is, and then say, nevertheless, God steps in and he does this and gives me victory. That's what he did for David. I want to draw your attention to this verse. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, excuse me, in verse 4. The Bible says we use God's mighty weapons, not mere worldly weapons, to knock down the devil's, there it is, the devil's strongholds. You see, you and I fight with toothpicks. When we just try and use willpower, God fights with spiritual bazookas and A-bombs. So one of the things that when we're working with people who have addiction problems, one of the things that we tell them first off is that, hey, listen, this is a disease that you have. This isn't a problem with willpower. because I just don't have enough willpower. And their parents say, you're weak. Why? And even dads tell this to their sons all the time. Why can't you just have a beer or two like a regular man? Total trash. It's not about willpower. It's a disease. It's a physical disease, but it's also an emotional, psychological, and spiritual disease, too. It requires spiritual solutions. That's what God does. He steps in, and he heals and breaks down strongholds in ways that we never could. So that's what God does. He gives victory. He gave victory to David, and he gives victory to you, and he gives victory to me. But what is our part in it? Because God is so gracious and powerful, he's so powerful that he could do this on his own, but he's so gracious that he involves us and brings us into it. So I want to show you two things that David did to partner with God in order to accomplish this victory. The very first thing that he did was he turned a deaf ear to negative voices. Do you have any negative voices in your life? Maybe, maybe not. Do you have cable news in your life? People make money off of big-time profit, off of being negative voices on TV. Because the more negative, there's something about it, we're almost drawn to it. But David was able to turn a deaf ear to the negative voices. Do you remember what the Jebusites said? We're not even going to fight you because our lame and our blind and our weakest people could beat you. Now, they couldn't, but they said that because they thought they were safe inside the stronghold. But David ignores the insults, and he stays focused. Several hundred years later, at these very walls, a guy named Nehemiah is going to go through something very similar. Nehemiah isn't there to invade and go into Jerusalem. Nehemiah is there to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. As he's in on this project and building back the walls up, some people, this time he's up, and the negative voices are down below. With David, it was the Jebusites up here, and David's down here. Now, Nehemiah's on top, and the negative voices, and they're saying, hey, Nehemiah, quit working. Quit building those walls. Come out of there. We want to form a committee. We want a blue ribbon panel. We need to talk about this. Nehemiah's like, sorry, not happening, man. I'm staying up here. I have work to do. He turned a deaf ear to those negative voices. But the master, come as no shock, the, the really powerful example of this in our lives is Jesus. Jesus one time right after he's baptized and he's in the wilderness fasting for 40 days, he confronts Satan. Or actually, Satan comes and confronts him. They confront each other. Satan launches this vicious attack against him. Jesus turns a deaf ear to Satan. He, he replies, he replies with scripture. He said, man does not live by bread alone. He says, I don't worship anybody but God. He says, I'm not going to test God. That's a loose paraphrase. But you remember, everything that Jesus said to Satan, you could fit on a post-it note. 
No big chat, chit-chat back and forth. Listen, I am all about, I really strongly and powerfully believe <clears throat> in the value of rebuking evil in Christ's name. But I have never heard anybody say that you should pull up a chair and have a long dialogue with evil. Well, sit right down. Let's, chit, let's go back and forth on this uh, conversation. That is, I'm telling you, that is unwise. Take it from somebody who at one time in a low point in his life had very long extended conversations with evil, bad plan. Jesus turns a deaf ear to the negative voices. One time Peter, his best friend, comes up to him, and Peter doesn't like the idea that Jesus is going to go to the cross. And in Matthew 16, 23, Jesus says to his best good buddy, Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. End of, end of chat. Just short and sweet. Just get out. As a matter of fact, when Jesus, when he performs exorcisms, have you noticed that it's not a big, long, extended thing? It usually can, the exorcism, when he casts out a demon, usually consists of this, shut up and get out. That's about as long as it gets. One more example of when Jesus turns a deaf ear to negative voices. One time he goes to heal a little girl. This little girl has been very sick. Jesus is on the way to her house. They find out on the way to her house that she's actually died while they're on their way. Mourners have been hired. This is what they used to do in first century Israel. They hire professional mourners to come in and grieve and wail loudly. Jesus arrives to raise this little girl from the dead, and this is what happens. They, they start to hassle him. This is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. Jesus said, he says this to the mourners, who, by the way, are getting paid to do this, so he's like cutting in on their profit margin, so they're not real happy that he's there. Uh, Jesus said, go away. The girl is not dead, only asleep. She was really dead, but he uses asleep as a figure of speech. But the people, look at this, the people laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. After the crowd had been thrown out of the house, Jesus went into the girl's room and took hold of her hand, and she stood up. He raised her from the dead. Now, here's what I want to draw your attention to. There are people there who are mocking him, just like in your stronghold and in my strongholds. There are people who are going to mock us and make fun of us and, and try to shame us. But Jesus turns a total deaf ear to it. The Greek word there for throw out is ekbalo. It's a very strong Greek word. Verb. I, I, I picture Jesus with those big, strong carpenter forearms taking somebody by the back of the... I don't want to mess up my microphone here. Taking somebody by the back of their bridges and just saying, out, get out. And just toss them. Right? Like, like the old Westerns, when the sheriff used to toss the guy through the swinging saloon doors, boom, out. Shut up and get out. He turns a deaf ear to the negative voices. That's what we have to do as well. Picture it this way. I, I heard this years ago, and it's always sort of stuck with me. Picture yourself in, in a room with 500 radios, a small room, like a 10 by 10 room, right? Really kind of small, low ceiling. But there are shelves, and on each of those shelves is a small radio. All 500 of those radios are just blaring, <laughs> turned up as loud as they can go. Now, on at least one, probably a couple of those radios, is the voice of God. On all the other radios, there's some messages that are like, well, like toothpaste commercials or whatever, so-so, you know, trying to, trying to sell you. And then on some of the other radios, really negative, ugly, hateful stuff. But we have it turned up and we're listening to it. And so what's the goal here? If you're trapped in that room with all of those messages bombarding you, all of those voices, is it to turn up God's voice? I don't think we need to turn up God's voice. Let me tell you something 
about God's voice. God's voice is penetrating, okay? All creation acknowledges the voice of God so that nobody is without excuse. That's what Paul told us in Romans. I don't think we have to turn God up. I think he's good and loud. You don't believe me? Watch a sunset. I think what I have to do, and I'll just speak for myself, I've got to turn the other voices down. I've got to filter some stuff out so that I can hear God's voice more clearly. I have to turn a deaf ear to the negative voices so I can zero in on God a little bit better. And then the other thing that David did was he opens his eyes to some new choices. This one is hard for me. I'm all about, you know, um, people who are tearing me down and, and upsetting me. I'm all about being deaf to those voices. I love that. I have a new, I used, I, now I distance, I boundary, I set boundaries, I distance in love. I used to funk, amputate in anger, shut up and get out. Don't do that anymore. Not nice. Try to be a little nicer about it. This next one is harder. David opened his eyes to new choices. Do you remember how he won the battle? Does it say they threw ladders up on the wall and stormed it? No, they went in through the water tunnel. There was a water tunnel. It's interesting that Jimmy was just talking about aquifers. There was a water tunnel that provided fresh water to Jerusalem so that even if the city was sieged uh, by an enemy power, they could still have fresh water. Other people saw high walls. David saw a solution and an opportunity. So he fights hard lots of times. David has spent most of his 20s fighting hard and winning big battles nose to nose, like jaw out first. In this battle, though, he's like, we need to do something a little bit different if we're going to win this one. And rather than looking at the problems, like the high walls or the fact that the Jebusites can shoot arrows down on them or pour hot oil on them or whatever it is that they did in those days, he says, we're going to try this a little bit differently this time. And he takes the city. They win. If you have a stronghold, an old, tough, discouraging stronghold, and you've been trying to use willpower and just wading in to it, and you keep getting beat and beat and beat and beat, and we talk about this again in addiction studies all the time, it's time to change some stuff up, you guys. It's time to try some new choices here. You got to get creative with your problem solving. You got to ask yourself, are you quicker to point out problems and see why something will never work? Or are you good at looking for unique solutions within the problem? I'm telling you, coronavirus right now, this isn't like 9-11. 9-11, we geared up, went overseas, World War II, Pearl Harbor, that kind of stuff. America's got a little bit more experience at this. With coronaviruses and stuff like this, we have to not so much fight hard as we have to fight smart as we get through this. This means managing our emotions, looking for solutions, talking through some things, Got to get creative a little bit. That's what I had to do. Quick story from when I first got sober many, many years ago. Um, I had a job where I had to travel on airplanes. I hate to fly. I hated to fly before all of the weird stuff like the TSA and the, you know, all the, um, well, it's weird, right? I don't like to fly. So um, in my opinion, I heard a guy say, all, an airplane is one million non-flying pieces all bolted together. That's all it is. So I don't like to get on it. I don't like people touching me. I don't like personal space things. So, um, so I'm not real crazy about it. But I used to have to fly all the time. One of the ways in my drinking days, one of the ways that I was able to fly was I would get greased before I got on the plane. I'd sit there at the bar and like self-medicate, you know. Um, and uh, after I got sober, it's like it's not an option. It's like I was killing myself with alcohol. So 
um, I figured out that if I got on the plane, what I would do, my creative solution, was I would go and find the families with kids. Nobody wants to sit with the families with kids, right? Because the kids get loud and they throw things and sometimes they have to change diapers and stuff. And so nobody wants to sit around those guys. I sat around them because when the beverage cart came through, it was loaded with like apple juice and stuff. They didn't have any of the other things. So that was one solution. The other was when I got to my hotel room and it had a little mini bar in it, I would call the front desk and I would say, you can give me another room or you can get the mini bar out, but I'm not staying in the room with the mini bar, which was a big change for me because I used to ask them to come and restock the mini bar, right? But now that I'm trying to live this different life, that I'm trying to break free of this stronghold, now I've got to have some new choices. So I started thinking this week about things that are new choices, things that you can do and that I can do, because one of the things I love about LifeWay is the practical application that's included within each message. One of the first things I want to share with you, for me personally, and I know I'm not the only one, is just being here at LifeWay. Let me tell you, I am doing church differently than I ever have in my entire life. I've been walking with Jesus for a couple of 24 hours, but man, I'll tell you what, the energy, the lights, the screens, oh my goodness, oh, I shouldn't look at that. Um, all of this, this is so new. I came from a very reserved, very traditional form of worship growing up. A friend who grew up with me, uh, we used to joke, he used to say, and they were, listen, it was biblical, it was doctrinal, it was good, man. He used to say, Bill, they're all good people and they're all going to heaven. They're just not going to like it the first day or two. You know? <laughs> Way too much smiling. What's, what's all this jumping around and singing and everything? Everybody calm down. He said, but it'll grow on them over time. So I come... <laughs> So I come from this like super legalistic background. Again, awesome people, love them. But now I, I'm 55. My last 25, 30 years, however long the Lord has for me here on planet Earth, I'm not going to spend it sitting in a row looking at the back of somebody's head. God brought us, me, my family brought us here to Lifeway because I need freedom. I need freedom from strongholds. And I'm sick and tired of being bound by legalism. And let me tell you, I'm not saying that at anybody else's expense. I'm just, who am I to judge another man's service? servant? People are Romans 14. People can do whatever they want. I'm telling you that for me, I need a place of freedom. I, I was bringing the message. The first time I've preached in probably like a year and a half, two years, really since I left ministry. And I was like, incredibly relaxed coming into this, even with all the back and forth. And uh, I wasn't on the big long text message with Jimmy, but um, I, I, he and I did have to stay in touch through all of this. And I'll, I'll tell you, man, I just wasn't stressing it out. You know why? Because there's peace and love and freedom here at Lifeway Church, okay? It's a new choice for me. Here's a couple more. How about the 24-hour concept? If you struggle with alcohol or pornography or eating, you know, I, I mean... A bag of a whole bag of Oreos isn't the same as meth, but all at once, okay? Day after day, month after month, whatever your stronghold, maxing out all your credit cards, whatever it is. What if you made it? Let's let's use credit cards because we can all kind of relate to that. Um, what if your thing is like you walk into? I love Hobby Lobby, man. I could just stay in there all day. It's got comic books and faith stuff. It's everything, and I just love it. What if, if you say, okay, today I'm not going to use my credit card? Just today, I'm not going to use my credit card. 24-hour concept. Jesus came up with that. He's the one who said, pick up your cross daily. 
It wasn't Bill Wilson and, and, and AA. 24 hours. What if instead of quitting, because I used to quit drinking for the rest of my life every day and be drunk by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. 24-hour concept. How about this one? Dump your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. Whatever that stronghold is, <clears throat> part of what fuels it inside your brain and you have a big pleasure circuit deep inside your brain, the dinosaur part of your brain, part of what fuels that is secrecy. Turn it over. Turn it over to God. Turn it over to another person. Turn it into a blessing. Dump your secrets. How about this one? Watch out for black and white thinking. That's a hard one for me. As a matter of fact, I try to wear at least a little bit of gray every day because I'm such a black and white thinker. It comes from that uh, legalistic thinking and, raise, and upbringing I was telling you about. Um, watch for negative voices. Watch for absolute language. If you have people in your life who say, you always, you never, every day, not once, listen for that absolute language. It could be you need to set a boundary with that person. And then uh, one more. I'm going to show you something. So in my classrooms at school when I'm teaching, I, I do not permit the students to take their phones out. You can take your phone out right now if you want to, if you don't have to, if you don't want to. I sit in the back. Our family usually, usually sits over there. I wait until Jimmy and Vern aren't looking, and I go, eh like that a little bit. I don't let my students do it. I'm like super serious about it, but you can do it this time because I want to draw your attention to the fact that there's a feature here in addition to Instagram, Snapchat, Google Maps, my fitness pal, haven't opened that in a while, um, and Chrome. There's also, I just noticed here the other day, you know what else is on here? A phone. You can call people with this thing. You can pick it up. Now, in AA, we call it, which I still go to meetings, not because I crave alcohol, but because I, I love the fellowship. In AA, we call this the 500-pound telephone. Got to pick it up, got to use it, put them back away now. We're sending people up and down the aisles to check out. Um, got to call somebody on the phone. Got to talk to somebody hand in hand. Um, new solutions, couple more real quick. Uh, I have a friend that I just met this week. He's spent his whole life praying on his knees. It's part of his habit. He can't pray on his knees anymore. His knees are shot out. You know what he does? He, he lays on his left side. That's what, the, that's what the Apostle John used to do on Patmos Island, I think. He used to lay on his left side. And he talks to God while he... That, no, this is my left side, okay. Uh, it's your left. See, I was trying to be nice, trying to accommodate. It's not like I don't know my left from my right, okay? Went to school. Like lays on his left side and he talks to God laying on his left side because he can't pray on his knees anymore. Isn't that beautiful? You know, and, and you know, in, in AA, we close every meeting with the Lord's Prayer or the Serenity Prayer. We can't hold hands right now like we normally do. So we're touching elbows or we're gripping each other's wrists. Those are just a couple. Oh, another good one. I was here for prayer on Friday and Vern, so wise, we were talking about it. He says, you know, we have communion. Take some, do communion in your house, right? How about that? for peace and fellowship and connection with Jesus. Try a new approach. Listen, David tried a new choice. It was a hole in the ground outside the walls of Jerusalem. He found victory through a hole in the ground, a water tunnel, through opening his mind to new choices. He found victory through a hole in the ground outside Jerusalem. Guess where our hope and victory is found? In a hole in the ground, just outside the walls of Jerusalem, it's not a water tunnel, it's an empty tomb. Amen. Jesus Christ, God, became a human being, came here, lived a perfect life, was killed, murdered, 
for his trouble, unjustly by cruel, wicked, sinful men, was buried. He came back to life. He wasn't, he wasn't in a coma. He didn't have a fever. I don't know. He, I don't think he had a fever. He was dead. And he reanimated. He came back to life. He walked out of a hole in the ground just as surely as David. You can, by the way, that water tunnel, it's on the tour. You can still go visit it today. It's a real place. It's a real thing. There are pictures on the internet. You can look at them if you want to. His hope, victory was found there. Our victory was found there. You're only a nevertheless away. Ephesians 1, 19 through 20 says this. I want you to know about the great and mighty power that God has for us followers. It is the same. Look at that word. Listen to that word, same. Same. Wonderful power. What a beautiful adjective he used when he raised Christ from death and let him sit at his right side in heaven. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that will break our strongholds, turn a deaf ear to negative voices, make new choices. And you know who you'll be like? You'll be like Rocky. You may not know Rocky. Maybe you know him better as Cephas or Peter. Cephas means rock in Greek. Peter, Rocky, denied Christ. Nevertheless, he preached the very first gospel sermon, Acts chapter 2. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Denied Christ, nevertheless, he preached. How about Joe? You may know Joey better as Joseph, as in Joseph in the coat of many colors. Fired from the family business, sold into slavery, unjustly accused of a crime he didn't commit, thrown in prison. Nevertheless, becomes the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful nation at that time on the face of the earth. How about the woman in divorce court? It's a Samaritan woman at the well, John chapter 4. Married five different times, living with a dude now who's not her husband. Nevertheless, she meets and visits with Jesus for a little bit, and she becomes one of the very first gospel missionaries, goes back to her village and says, hey, everybody, I'm pretty sure I just met the Messiah. You need to come see him. He told me everything I've ever done. David had a stronghold to face. Nehemiah had a stronghold to face. Peter, you, me, all of us, what's yours? What's your nevertheless? David was almost defeated, he won. Jesus was dead in the grave, he rose. And you, nevertheless, you fill in the blank this morning. Father, thanks for some time to be in your word. Lord, these are interesting times, to put it mildly. We don't know 100% what's going on here, but we don't need to know everything. What we do know is that you're in control. We do know that these strongholds are killing us. We know that the enemy wants to kill us, but we know that Jesus is working and interceding on our behalf. Thank you, Father, for his sacrifice. Thank you for your power. Thank you for a beautiful place to come and worship here at Lifeway Church. We're so grateful, so grateful for the people here. And I pray, Father, that you bless all the people online right now who are listening. We pray for freedom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. Hey, thank you for being so attentive this morning. Wow. Are you glad I asked him to share that? It was super. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I, I in, in finishing this here and uh, really want to call us to some specific actions, I want you to stand on your feet.
He's not wrong. I mean, my, my, my approach to dealing with things is to invoke the name of Jesus Christ and my covenant with God against what it is I'm doing. But sometimes we do need God in that covenant to show us a different strategy. The reason David, again, could find the water tunnel where no one else did was because of his covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you need to enter into that covenant today. But before I do that, I, I, to the church, I'm gonna talk to those of you who you know Jesus, but you are struggling. You have something in your life that just is a nagging, maybe a couple things in your life that keep coming back. I mean, I look at whether it's Peter or the woman at the well or, or Joseph or whatever, they were, they were in real circumstances that were serious and they had real issues that were Serious, and that nevertheless defining moment for them shifted everything. I don't believe that the time that we come to know Christ initially, that first time is the only nevertheless that we have. I, I've had a lot of nevertheless moments in my life. I remember the first time I stood up to, I was asked to preach at a church. It was probably just a people about as many as you all confined into one little area and my mouth just went utterly dry. I mean, I, you, you would not, listening to me today, you, you would have heard me the first time. You would even know it's the same guy. And, and one of the reasons we have teachers like Bill, and Bill's, a, Bill's a f already a phenomenal teacher, but, but the reason we take people wherever they're at and we start, people say, why do you let all these other people preach? Because I'm helping people get their nevertheless moment and they're answering their call, the call of God in, in Jesus Christ upon their life. And you all have a nevertheless moment right now that God wants to lead you into. And I, I think these times where we have situations like we're in right now in the earth, where I said, we're looking for this, these new choices are opening our eyes to new opportunities. I believe there's new opportunities for each of us, but you gotta ask God, it's not, if you go through a life apathetically, the one thing we felt as pastors in this, in this series is that we felt like God was saying, he just wants to break apathy and complacency off the church. And I'm, I don't mean, the, yes, the big C church, but I mean the Lifeway church. Apathy and complacency. We named it fight for a reason. There's an implied you in that thing. You fight, partner with God in your freedom, partner with God in your calling, partner with God in impacting lives. None of that will happen on autopilot, but there's a big open invitation in heaven. It's like when John the Revelator in, 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 in John chapter uh, two says, I saw a door standing open in the heavens. I saw a door standing open in the heavens. Now listen to this. There's a door standing open for you. And, and, and the voice, he said, I heard a voice come out of that door, come up from, out of heaven and say, come up here. There's a nevertheless moment when you every day wake up and you open your Bible, that door may not seemingly be standing open in the heavens over your, like in an open vision, but every time you open your Bible and every time you come with faith, every time you let the say, Spirit of God, take me up in the Spirit as I read the Scriptures and fill me with the Word of God, you can go through that open door and you're nevertheless moments waiting on the other side. Nevertheless, David was able to find that waterway, that access point to gain victory over the Jebusites, over his stronghold, because he was in covenant with God and God opened his eyes to see what he couldn't see previously. We said last week in Ephesians 6, it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, hosts of wickedness. We're fighting a spiritual power 
And it says that it's one of the one of the names of the powers there is rulers of darkness. You know, when you live in darkness, darkness has rulers and they own you. And last week I gave a demonstration of coming out of, under this dark, imagine a big dark cloud over me and, and I make a choice. I made a choice to go under the dark cloud. And so I make a choice to move over under the light of Jesus Christ and come into his light with my life by surrendering to his leadership and his lordship. And here's how you do that. You need to believe, listen, Christians, I know people, I, may, I, I, I believed in Jesus 50 years ago or 40 years ago or 20 years ago when I said yes to Jesus in Sunday school. Friend, you say yes to Jesus. You make that decision to go from darkness to light every day you wake up. Sure, you make the original covenant. I made an original covenant with Lydia 26 years ago at an altar. And she became my wife and I became her husband. I have made that choice to be her husband and she has made that choice to be my wife every day since then, to engage one another, to have a practical relationship. Does this make sense? So some of you, you need to do that. Some of you, you, you went to church, you made a profession of faith and you wandered so far and you need to recommit your life to Jesus Christ. That's why you're stuck. And some of you just never did. And I want to tell you, going to church, I don't care what your flavor or preference of the church is, denominations, I mean by that, what, what version of the church you are, uh, that you've come from. Bill and I come from totally different backgrounds uh, in our church experience. We have one Lord. And, and, and the uniting factor isn't his pre the preferences that he experienced previously in worship and the ones we have now. The, different, the, the, the defining moment is when we actually say yes to Jesus. You can go to church your whole life and never be changed. That, that may mess some of you up, but going to church does not make you a Christian. Making a covenant with Jesus does. And so I wanna give everybody the opportunity. Here's what you gotta believe. You gotta believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, that anyone believing in him wouldn't perish, but would have eternal life. It really is that simple. You believe and you receive his sacrifice and his righteousness is credited to you. Your sins are wiped out, or a better, better way to put it is they're paid for. And therefore you can't keep, if, I, if we pay off your house, you can't keep paying for it once it's paid off. You can't pay for your sins once they've been paid off. You can only live a life in response to the one who paid for it. Would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment? If you're listening online, I'm asking you to get in on this. Right there in your living room, like give your family a chance. Tell everybody, dads, moms, whoever's in charge there, kids, bow your heads and close your eyes. We're gonna have to do some business with Jesus right now. If you're here today, if you're online today and you're saying, man, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord, I want to receive his payment and I want my new nevertheless to start today where I get victory over the things that have had victory over me. If that's you today and you want that, would you raise your hand high in this room and raise it, yeah, and raise it online. Yeah, I see several of you, awesome. It's awesome. Jesus, heaven just going crazy right now. I know some of you are recommitting and some of you are, are saying yes to Jesus for the first time. Come on, in, in your rooms, in your houses right now, come on, lift your hands and surrender. Come on, in this room right now, would you all just raise your hands and surrender to Jesus and say, pray something like this. Say, say God, I come to you in Jesus' name. I want a nevertheless moment. I covenant with you today that Jesus is Lord of my life and I surrender to your leadership when I fail to follow perfectly, correct me, strengthen me, and set me on a straight path that will bring you the most glory and fulfill the purpose of why you created me. I ask right now that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit, 
fill, baptize me with power from on high that I can be your witness, that I can stand strong in faith and not fear in times of adversity and bring your light to a dark world in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.